Well, as I say every week, we love cooking and we love eating on this show and our friends at Hoyt's Herbs and Spices are always on hand for tips and advice on how to add flavour and taste to the kitchen and change the mood of your food. Now, we've been trying to give you a few Middle Eastern uh, uh, flavours during the course of the World Cup uh, in honour of the host of the tournament. Now, Derek, uh, are you familiar with uh, Dhaka? Yes, I am actually, Rob. Yes, um, so I'm sure you've eaten it many times in your travel through uh, various Middle Eastern restaurants. It's, uh, well, a Middle Eastern mix uh, of nuts, seeds and spices. And if you want to make your own, it's really easy because you just need sesame seeds, which of course, powdered coriander and cumin. They're, they're three of the most common ingredients. And some toasted nuts, usually uh, the, the cashew variety, pistachios as well. Brown them all together and you make a lovely dry rub, Derek. And uh, what do you think? Put them on some pork cutlets uh, that go well? A little olive oil? Yeah, no, I think that would be uh, just the treat, Rob. My mouth is watering just thinking about it. That's it. So you make that uh, uh, ducker from the Hoyt spices uh, and uh, a little olive oil, and then you can uh, you can put them on the uh, the barbecue. You can uh, you fry them, serve them with a uh, let's say a fatouche, maybe that uh, classic uh, Middle Eastern salad with mint and parsley, cucumber, tomatoes, like a garlicky, lemony oil uh, dressing with shallots in it as well. I'll tell you, it will absolutely fill your belly, Middle Eastern style, and you'll love it. Remember, refill all your empty spice jars with eight coals or worse, and all good independent supermarkets. Now, this is Box to Box Stoppage Time with Rob Gilbert and Derek Dyson. Oh, what a goal! For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. Absolutely fantastic! the box stoppage time you're with rob gilbert derek dyson and damien tardio for a podcast spun off from our main show where we go through the highlights of the past week our teams our moments of the week and plenty more and this week derek it's a special australian world cup themed edition of stoppage time yeah i think we had to rob us the the way that the careers had played was um so magnificent over the tournament that i, I think it's only right that we extend out and, and talk about it in a little bit uh, more detail while it's all fresh in our minds. There's plenty of time to talk about the other games in the tournament and the tournament will progress on. So I've come up with this special edition and hopefully uh, yourself and Damien will be able to tear into this one. And I first of all wanted just to start off with uh, the Socceroos player of the tournament. I think there are a number of candidates that stand out. But Rob, if the decision was yours, where would you go? Well, um, with uh, apologies to our very good friend of the program, Jackson Irvine, who I was uh, messaging on the morning of the match, uh, and he actually replied to me. I was surprised enough. I was hoping I was talking to his uh, mum, uh, Danielle, and she and she said, uh, "Send him a message. Yeah, all the positive vibes we can get." And I didn't expect a response, but uh, um, I sent a, a little pump up message, and and he responded uh, a few hours before the team bus left and said, "Mate, I hope we just make." Then I proud and gave me a little green and gold uh, emoji. And, and I thought, mate, that's a testament to, to, to Jackson and within that side. Uh, Jackson was rated 9 out of 10 in um, in the Argentina match. So I, I have to give him apologies uh, as my player of the tournament. But uh, uh, I'm going to go with Harry Suter. Um, you know, there was a, a great article in The Guardian that Emma Kemp wrote uh, uh, where she uh, she described uh, 
uh, the moments after that uh, 85th minute tackle uh, in the Tunisia match against uh, uh, Taha Yassin Kesnisi, uh, um, when uh, shortly after full time blue, uh, uh, Sutar's Wikipedia page received an unofficial update. And it goes like this Against Tunisia, Sutar caused mass bonus across the great southern land with one of the greatest sniping tackles God's earth has ever seen. By the time the site administrators had removed it, Sutar was clearly modestly talking about his contributions, talking down his contributions. So I just think Harry Sutar was amazing. I know it sort of feels like a almost an easy go-to player, but uh, to consider where he came from, uh, he, he was mighty in the early stages of, uh, of qualification when we set that record of 11 wins, uh, the World Cup qualifying record, and uh, and then on that wet night in Parramatta when uh, uh, his ACL snapped and uh, and we lost him for the rest of qualification, so uh, did the, uh, the the decline of the Australian uh, qualification begin. We went from top of the ladder to, to third, and uh, and we all just hoped and prayed that he'd get back in time, healthy. Uh, for the tournament itself, and uh, and not only did he get back in time with only three full games, mind you, over the past twelve months, uh, but uh, but he was uh, just an absolute rock. Uh, and uh, and while Matt Ryan uh, did some great work, uh, the final game uh, notwithstanding, um, I think Harry Sutar is uh, my clear nominee for uh, for that uh, uh, amazing defensive effort, uh, which I think sits alongside of any of the other defensive efforts of any team in the tournament. I'm going with Aziz Behich. Hitch pretty much epitomises the way Arnie wanted the Socceroos to play. He wanted them to take risks. I think you look at the game against Argentina, and the Hitch was almost our biggest attacking weapon in the last 30 minutes of the game, you know, with his dashing runs. And he almost very nearly scored the equalising goal, but that wasn't to be. So I think he has to be right up there in the conversation when you talk about Australia's player of the tournament. Uh, I guess Sutar clearly is a standout, but... For mine, as he's behitched, the way he just took on his opponents and created from the back and consistently superb. That, that's the thing. You know, I would have gone with Matthew Leckie too, but I think he faded in a few games. Fatigue got him. You know, notwithstanding, he he was you know pivotal against Denmark. But and I think for mine, that back four who went into the tournament unheralded really came out as almost household names for the future. That's quite the compliment, Damien. I, mean, I would just chuck in Aaron Boy. I thought he had a really solid performance uh, in the middle of the part there and gave uh, Australia some of those flashes of creativity, as well as some defensive stability. Nicked the ball off Messi's toes a couple of times when it looked like he was going to start cruising through again. But I can't argue with any of those game of the tournament. Now, there's only four to pick from, so granted that there isn't a lot of diversity here. And in fact, there's only really three to pick from because I doubt anyone's going to say the France game. So... What are you going for, Damien? The Tunisia game has to be the game of the tournament because, as you did mention, the France game, we lost 4-1. And losing like that, you think, okay, 2010, the Socceroos lost 4-1 against Germany. And that pretty much derailed their entire tournament. You know, they were unlucky, you know, thereafter. But to turn it around, and turn it around as emphatically as they did, for mine, that was a catalyst. And obviously, Harry Sutar, his last-ditch tackle, that'll live on in Australian football folklore, because if you think all the good goals that they've scored this tournament, Goodwin, Leckie, and then the defensive efforts, Sutar's one is the best defensive effort and the last gasp effort. So that game, to me, will always stick out as, okay, they turn the corner and they turn their fortunes around when they could have just buckled. And, you know, we saw that against Argentina when you go 2-0 down, 
through a horrendous goalkeeping blunder, they could have dropped their heads, but they never did this tournament, which I'm very, very proud of. And Rob, are you going with the Tunisia game as well? No, I, I'm going to give apologies to the Argentine match because even though it was a loss, I mean, a lot of us, uh, uh, as hopeful as we were that um, Australia would go out and, and compete and and if, God forbid, we had uh, a, um, an amazing day actually win the game, um, that it obviously would have been the, the, the choice. But, uh, but that match um, delivered... On, uh, on the expectations that we were competitive, that we uh, uh, were able to stand up to um, one of the greatest players in the history of football, uh, Lionel Messi, of course, uh, even uh, in his pomp, scoring uh, one of his signature goals uh, and putting us on the back foot. I managed to bounce back from uh, the uh, uh, the gut punch of Matt Ryan's howler. Uh, and, and even for him, I was hoping, I said to my son Thomas as we were watching the game, I hope he gets one more good quality save so that the people who don't know him well enough will at least see him... Uh, him uh, at his best and remember him for something um, in that game other than what they saw and and he did get that opportunity to save but I'm not going to choose that match of course because uh, the Denmark match for me uh, was uh, was the one that um, that really stood out now I know uh, we uh, we played a veritable home nation in Tunisia with 30,000 people and their expectations were high ranked 30 in the world to our 38 so pretty much on a par but Denmark were another level again uh, ranked 10 in the world uh, they've got a, uh, a, a, a pedigree uh, that is as recent as the last Euros in, in terms of making the sharp end of a serious tournament when a lot of good judges suggest that the uh, England penalty that knocked Denmark out and uh, and uh, and uh, advanced England uh, to the final against Italy shouldn't have been a, a penalty and that Denmark should have won that much in that uh, storied tournament where Christian Eriksen obviously had the, the cardiac arrest. Uh, Australia only had 31% of possession. Uh, the, the Danes had 664 passes to our 304 passes. Um, the, the fact that we were uh, all at sea in the opening 30 minutes, but somehow through some good luck, some good management and just sheer persistence, managed to stay in the game only to see the momentum shift in the final 15 minutes of that first half. And then in the early stage of 60 minutes uh, uh, into the game, Matthew Leckie scores that goal. Now, if it had been any other player um, from a, a top nation, if it had been Robert Lewandowski or that have been Lionel Messi, that have been Cristiano Ronaldo. I'm suggesting that that goal of Leckie's the way that he uh, he ducked and dived in and out, lost his man, and then finished off in front of a world-class goalkeeper like Kasper Schmeichel would have been already being talked about as the goal of the tournament, but it's not because it was Matthew Leckie. And then to hold on for that final 30 minutes uh, and withstand um, the, uh, uh, the tide of, of Denmark's attack, um, uh, who, well, They've only got themselves to blame. They couldn't finish off. So I'm going to nominate that uh, that Australia-Denmark match and, uh, and just for the expectation uh, um, of being smashed that that we, you know, we really, I think we went into that game having spoken to Michael Jakobsen last week who, who said that, you know, I think I asked him the question, if the game was played 10 times, do we win once? And he said, yeah, that's what I think. So they expected to win that match. They didn't. We won. It was a famous night in Australia. Now, Rob, you mentioned that Matthew Leckie run against Denmark. I want to know from both of you, where does that lucky goal now stand in the great Socceroos goals that we've seen? Obviously, Bresciano against Uruguay in 2005, Cahill goals in the 06 and 2014 World Cups, we've got Harry Kiel's goal, and even Craig Goodwin's goals now in this World Cup. Where does the lucky goal stand 
in the Parthenon of Socceroos goals. Well, it's funny that you say that because uh, when I, I mentioned that I was, I was communicating with uh, with Jackson Irvine and I sent him a little package of, of the top six uh, Socceroos goals of all kind, a time according to one um, uh, person who, who put together a little package uh, um, and, uh, and and the Tim Cale goal against the Dutch in the in the, the, the 2014 uh, World Cup, that, that volley that um, uh, was uh, was not awarded the goal of the tournament because Hamis uh, uh, Rodriguez's goal was uh, was uh, nominated to trumpet, but uh, I think the one of the goals that um, that had the most influence uh, was the Masamo Luongo game in the uh, against South Korea in um, in the Asian Cup final where when uh, we were in um, you know that game went to extra time um, it felt like the South Koreans had the better of us and that goal had made such a difference so in so far as its um, its uh, stature on the world stage and and its um, it, its outcome I think I'm going to nominate that Masamo Luongo goal. I think I've answered this question on this uh, organ before. It was the Tim Cahill goal against the Netherlands is, was the best, technically the best goal that uh, Australia scored. I thought the Leckie goal was okay. I think the dribble, um, okay, yeah, okay. I thought it was okay. No, so, so why would? I mean, I know you're a Euro snob uh, uh, from way back, mm. and, and nothing really changes. Um, uh, the uh, leopards don't change their spots that much, but. But okay, tell us, explain to Damien and I and anyone else who's listening to this podcast right now why you just think it was okay. I thought the Danish defender should have done a lot better. I thought Lecky telegraphed the facts a number of times. He was going to go left, he was going to go right, he was going to go left. I didn't actually think it was that mesmerising. The, the finish itself was a good one. You know, it was pretty much the only place he, he could put it there. But um, yeah, I think probably there are, for us and me, I think there are probably... Better goals in Socceroos, uh, Socceroos history, but maybe not as you know significant. Maybe as the uh, the lucky goal. But we're now going to move on to the moment of the tournament for Australia, and that well, it could be lucky. We're just talking about him, and we've maybe already spoken about these uh, some of these already. But uh, Rob, if you were to pinpoint one moment in this tournament, you just think you're just going to remember. You're going to remember it for the next decade, twenty years. What's going to be? I haven't talked about this match yet, but uh, and and it's not going to sit uh, um, on on the podium of finishes of the four uh, matches that we played. But uh, but Craig Goodwin's goal against the French, I mean, the, it, it set up a hope in the early stage of the tournament, and it was exactly what that we we'd, we'd all wanted to see. Uh, obviously, it went a bit pear shaped after that, and uh, you know we were able to sit at the sort of giddy heights of uh, of leading France one um, nil from I think it was the ninth minute mark till Rabiot's goal uh, um, about uh, 18 minutes later. But uh, I, I'm going to nominate that for as the signature piece that, that set us up for for the tournament. And the fact that subsequently, even though we did have our pants pulled down with uh, Giroud uh, scoring a brace and then Kylian Mbappe uh, um, just doing what he does uh, and, and absolutely getting dominated for the rest of the match. But I'm, I'm going to put that one down as the, the moment of the tournament because it just... Uh, it just was so exciting against the world champions and um, and it gave us hope until that hope was burst like a balloon at a child's birthday party. And what, what about you, yourself, uh, Damien? Is it going to be a happy memory or something that burst like a balloon at a child's birthday party? Well, it didn't so much burst like a balloon, but the thing that's going to last me for a while was Grand Qual's last-ditch chance in the 97th minute to tie the game. He was the... 
youngest player to play in a round of 16 match since Pelé 1958 at the age of 18. So Pelé was 17 back then. And I think for me, it signifies the future. It signifies the fact that the Socceroos will go to the next World Cup, hopefully with Kual on the team, hopefully with Sutar in the back four, hopefully with Kyle Rolls. And, you know, it, it points to a happy future and it points to a foundation that the Socceroos can actually build on. And that gives me so much hope and so much excitement going into future tournaments. And I think that's what we, we've, we've lacked that in Australian football because, you know, we're always close but not close enough and we've always, the, you know, the sob story. And yeah, okay, it was, you know, a bit of pill to swallow losing to Argentina, but I feel this time it's different. This time we've actually got a clear path to actually build something of substance in this country with this game. Yeah, I was going to go for the qual moment as well. I was sitting watching with my daughter while we were having breakfast and she still calls it cricket. I don't know why, but uh, she'll get there. It's sort of guys on a fit on a on the grass. She's allowed to. She's nearly 3 now. So she says dad's watching cricket and then I need to explain that it's, there's no bat. But uh god love her. So uh, she was on my knee when when this was happening and it was a little bit in slow motion and I think the commentator to be fair to them actually called it and said there's going to be one more chance here for Australia and I didn't think there would be I thought that the the chance earlier to uh, to Bayich was the one mm-hmm. but then this ball felt uh, quality turned on a sixpence and there was just this window of opportunity and of course it was big Emmy Martinez the former Arsenal now uh, Aston Villa goalkeeper who spread himself like a like a starfish and managed to not only save it but then the ball just very kindly dropped into his hands like it could have gone anywhere but for some reason it just the gods just decided it was just going to drop nicely into his hands and of course he followed it up with a very theatrical fall onto the ground and just to waste a little bit more time there it was a masterclass from the Argentinians from about 20 minutes to go they were really starting to play the mind games but um, look I think we'll wrap up Australia there for the moment guys I think when we get uh, Edge and Willem back on the microphone I think there'll probably be more opportunities to get their reflections on the uh, on the state of Australia's World Cup Um, but I just wanted to leave us with a just looking ahead I know that this will drop in the middle of the week so the games that are still to come we've got Morocco Spain Um, is is there anyone on this chat that thinks that Morocco are going to win? Oh, very much so. They're, they're my ah, okay. uh, dark horse, uh, and, yep. uh, and, and I think they are going to win. Um, they've, they've been quite incredible, um, at Morocco, so far in, in the course of, uh, of the, the tournament. Um, I think uh, they are a team that, that, that could... They've, they've just been sort of uh, going in under the radar, but to, to finish top of their group uh, in a group that, that included Croatia and Belgium, and to their credit, Canada, who uh, who, who didn't win a game, but... Uh, uh, but were uh, were exciting and competitive and showed a lot to uh, John Herdman's uh, men for, for the next uh, uh, iteration of this tournament, which they'll co-host. So, yeah, I, I'm going to um, suggest that Morocco will beat Spain in one of the uh, um, the greatest upsets at the knockout wow. stages of, wow. uh, of World Cup history, gentlemen. Well, unfortunately for Morocco, I think uh, Spain have already had their shock loss for the tournament, uh, going down in Japan 2-1 in a match where Spain had 83% possession and almost 800 more passes than Japan. So I can't see Morocco getting past Spain. But I will go out on a limb here and I'll say the winner of the England 
France game will go on to win the tournament. I think there are too many question marks on Argentina. I think the Saudi Arabia performance was uh, a lot. Of, there were a few red flags, and I don't think they were overly impressive against the Socceroos. So I can't see them going all the way. So I think that whoever takes out Sunday's match between France and England will go on to win the whole thing. God, some big some big calls happening here, and I suppose Damo the. You're thinking the Netherlands will make it through to the semi-finals. They'll beat Argentina, will they? Oh, look, I don't think Argentina will struggle against the Netherlands. I'm not too sure to be that clear cut, but I don't think the Albi Celeste have the artillery to be able to go head-to-head with England and France. We saw last time at the 2018 World Cup, round of 16, it was a 4-3 win to France thanks to an Mbappe brace. I don't think that Argentina can afford to get in a situation like that, and I don't know if they have the firepower to match England or France this time round. i got question marks over the support cast and whether they can actually help the main character in Messi. So a lot of red flags for Argentina at this point in time. The final game there that we haven't mentioned that will probably be still live before uh, after this podcast drops will be the Portugal-Switzerland game. I'll take this one, gents. Uh, I think this, these teams are very well matched. I think this is actually quite... A difficult one to call. I wouldn't be surprised if it's something like one all or nil nil, and then extra time, and then possibly penalties. And we haven't seen obviously penalties yet. We're only a couple of games into the knockout phases, but of all the of all the games, I think that's the one that maybe has the penalties on it. And we'll obviously see how the rest of the fixtures drop as uh, as we go. So, Rob, that was our soccer special with a little bit of crystal ball time. And uh, this time next week, we'll. Uh, We'll probably be talking about semi-finals, I would have thought. Yeah, I think we will be. What a great week. And uh, and if you haven't listened to the full show, make sure uh, you go back and have a listen because there was some great uh, uh, discussion there around uh, around England with Martin Tyler and the Asian uh, uh, nations' uh, performances with, with Scott McIntyre. And then, and uh, if you want to have a little treat uh, uh, to, to just reflect on last weekend's uh, uh, events, uh, the Australia-Argentina match, go back and have a listen to, uh, to Edge and Willem uh, um, pondering on uh, the before and after of the match, but uh, uh, well done. A, a lovely little lineup uh, for uh, for this uh, week's edition of Stoppage Time, Derek. Um, sadly, we'll have to wait another four years for the next one, mate. So well done. No, no problem, gents. Been a great tournament so far. And Damien, thank you for uh, yet again coming off the bench, mate. Outstanding. Thank you, gents. And thank you to you out there listening to Box to Box Stoppage Time. Uh, make sure you uh, follow us on Facebook. Like us on Facebook, even tweet us at box to box nts and follow us on Twitter and subscribe to box to box Stoppage Time and Offside wherever you get your podcasts. And join us throughout the week as our podcasts drop when we go from one end of the pitch to the other in the world game. Oh, it's nearly Christmas, and I've got a special guest appearance by Damien Tardio. How are you, Damien? Bah, bah. Mate, well done. You're a natural, and you uh, uh, play this uh, this jingle these days uh, on the uh, the Three W Breakfast Show. And Russell Howcross does does his live reads. Was that inspired by Box to Box? That idea? It was. It all started on Box to Box. I thought it did. And are you going to get your Christmas shopping done very soon? What's available at Chemist Warehouse? Well, mate, you're going to buy some fragrances for your dad, the great Tony, aren't you? Well, yeah, I, I want to get him a nice sort of Pinot Silvestre or something like that. I reckon he'll, that'll suit him. <laughs> Mario Toscani would absolutely love that, as would the boys from Sushi Mango. But along with the Pinot Silvestre, which is probably at the discount end, you might want to get yourself some Montblanc Explorer. 60 mils, Eau de Parfum, 49 99 That's 73 bucks off, mate. I can smell it wafting through the computer screen now. 
I'll get in there right now. Estee Lauder, beautiful. 30 mils out of farm for the ladies in your life. $49.99. Just save $50. Chemist Warehouse, Damo. The great savings are? Every single day.